You're listening to BKX on the Morning. I'm your host, AJ Kierset. Let's get the latest in New Hampshire government news with our friends at the New Hampshire Bulletin. Get their articles at NewHampshireBulletin.com. They join WKX on the Morning every Friday. This week, I'm joined by reporter Ethan Duet. How's it going? Doing great. So you came back from vacation just in time for January 3rd for everything to just go full bore over at the State House. So there's lots of stuff going on. Um, let's start off with what it looked like last week. The uh, the legislature opened up their session and uh, like a, a ridiculous amount of things ended up being discussed and tabled. We talked a little bit with Anne-Marie last week on uh, some of it. But what did it look like for you? Yeah, so I went there in person. Uh, when I say there, I mean the Doubletree by Hilton Hotel in downtown Manchester. Um, this is used by, for a lot of venues, but this is the first time it's hosted an entire um, House of Representatives. And this is kind of the latest, and we're not really sure if it's the last uh, temporary location before lawmakers eventually head back to the State House. But throughout the, since the pandemic began, there's been the Whittemore Center, the hockey arena at UNH, then that, that was through 2020. And then they moved to outdoor to the field hockey after concerns about spikes in the virus. Then they moved to a car park at UNH. And that was about uh, a year ago. That was actually on January 6th, uh, 2021. Uh, they, they attempted meeting in a, in a car park and people had to put on hazards uh, to kind of indicate votes. And they had a, uh, a giant <laughs> jumbotron. It was, and so they tried that. Then they tried a sportsplex in Bedford, the New Hampshire sportsplex, which was essentially putting the lawmakers on AstroTurf uh, in an indoor field. And now they lost the sportsplex booking uh, somewhere along the way. I guess there's there are people who play sports in there. And so that. Yeah, so now they've moved to the Doubletree Hotel in Manchester, which uh, is, you know, its own kind of interesting situation because being in a hotel- a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And being in a hotel has its built-in advantages. I went there the first day and I was struck by lawmakers wheeling in luggage and apparently people decided to um, you know, take advantage of the location and the kind of the centrality and, and spend the night. So what I'm saying is it's been a long journey of trying to find venues that can host 400 people plus, um, you know, legislative aides. What, and this is the latest what was kind of the, what was the feel for the people actually come, being able to come together? It's been a couple months. Um, in theory, this, this start right now, we've got a huge COVID surge going on right now. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of the Democrats are uh, more likely to be, anxious about the situation the republicans may be taking a little too lax in the eyes of many on both sides of the aisle yeah so that's sort of the undercurrent and that has been the undercurrent really from the beginning that there are two very distinct camps and they happen to fall along the political parties of what the legislature should do about covid and how they should meet so republicans have said from the get-go that it should be in person And I talked to one of the representatives there and she said, uh, it's very simple. If you don't show up, you don't get to vote. That's how it's always been. And and COVID shouldn't change that. Um, And Democrats are arguing and have been arguing for about um, two years now that there should be a technology developed to allow people to uh, participate remotely. This has been tried um, technology. There has been Zoom committee meetings uh, and committees are in the house are about 20 people. And so typically what's happened is they've allowed people who wanted 
this was last spring. They allowed people who wanted to show up to show up and people who wanted to vote remotely to vote remotely. Democrats say they should they should employ that for the entire House. And they pointed to other states that have been successful. But Republicans say it's unfeasible. It's not feasible for the amount of, of representatives. And they also the Republicans I talk to say that it's also just not something that they want to do because out of principle, they believe it should be people in person. So you have every time you gather the legislature together, this debate can it, it, it arises again. And it did on in the first hour on Wednesday of the legislators meeting. You know, they haven't hadn't been together for months, I, I, I guess probably about six months at that point. And one of the first items of business was an item from Democrats attempting to change the rules to allow just the possibility of remotely voting and remotely meeting in the House. And that rule, it's been proposed in the past. It's been struck down uh, by Republican lawmakers in the past, and it was struck down last week. So kind of it is, again, the undercurrent that we've seen this entire time, while it's it can be kind of fun and exciting to see what new venue is it going to be uh, you know, this month. There is also a lot of frustration from Democrats who say that uh, the the uh, fact that there isn't a remote option means that some of their members, some of whom are immunocompromised, can't show up to vote and haven't been able to show up to vote. And so we see the debate continue. And then we see Republicans who are frustrated that we're not meeting in Representative Hall. So uh, it's kind of nobody's super happy with the uh, common ground that is approached. And I make no bones about it. My full time jobs in, in higher education and it, we see the same exact thing when it comes to schools and you see all the schools that close down. There's these students that pay just ungodly amounts of money every year to go to class and then they have stuck behind a zoom camera for it and you definitely don't get the same experience you get face to face and especially with politics it's in theory should be a lot of wheeling dealing and talking with each other and trying to compromise I'm not saying it's necessarily what we're doing today in politics but it's what should be happening so it, yeah it'll and zoom doesn't really you can only do so much with zoom i mean zoom's great for a little radio interview like this but trying to get a couple hundred people to be able to discuss is painful especially a lot of the reps are older and getting them to be able to handle it i imagine is hard yeah and and for speaker sherman packard uh you know republican speaker of the house he's kind of getting pressure from both angles right now and i talked to lawmakers in the hallway you know the democrats have been consistently uh you know they've been raising these votes to try to get the rules changed to allow again the possibility not necessarily uh mandating it but the possibility of those of um remote participation in voting to happen. But on the other side, there are Republicans who are pushing for for the House to return to Representatives Hall. And Speaker Packard has said that that's one of his own priorities. Um, so what I got a strong sense of talking from people on both sides of the aisle when I was there last week is that really Speaker Packard is the, is the one in control and nobody really knows what he's going to decide, but he seems to be sticking to the to watching kind of the um, case rate in the state and using that as a reason not to move back to Representatives Hall. But at the same time, he's pushing off Democratic efforts to try to um, create a remote option for some of their members. So it's really up to him. And nobody really knows when the calculus is going to change. There hasn't been a threshold announced as to what the caseload might be for the lawmakers move back to Representative Hall. I imagine if, if and when that ever does happen, there's going to be considerable pushback from Democrats, and it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. 
Yeah. It basically, I've been talking to, obviously, I've talked to a lot of people just in general at work and through through my radio shows. Everyone's just like, hopefully, fingers crossed, this Omicron thing is the last surge here. Fingers crossed, because we got to get back to business as usual for everything. So many things are on hold, and it's probably probably one of the reasons why there's so many things that were brought to the legislature the, this last go-around, is because people need to have had enough. It's been two years, and they need to start making decisions on the future of the state and the country. Yeah, a lot of these discussions and, and conversations, it, it really... Uh, it, it starts to get disorienting a little bit as a reporter because you've had these conversations with with everybody for two years. You've heard the same debates and you've heard the same, you've had the same interviews and really not much has changed and the same concerns are still there. Uh, two representatives, which ended up uh, growing to three representatives, uh, the speaker's office announced had um, contracted COVID, had tested positive for COVID-19 after attending the meeting. So that created, uh, you know, its own little mini furor and, uh, you know, may have consequences. We'll see uh, on the future meetings. So, and these are the same, again, situations and conversations we've had for years now. And uh, this new variant has kind of brought the urgency back to the fore and, and, and the debate is still happening. So let's move into some of the, the policies that were being discussed. Uh, the, you wrote uh, January 13th today, they were recording it, on the divisive concepts legislation is looking to actually expand into uh, higher education, according to some of the Republicans that are looking at developments of the law. Uh, I know a couple people that were uh, trying to speak at those hearings, and they ended up waiting hours and hours because there's just so many people wanting to speak uh, speak to it. And uh, it sounds to me like a, the Republicans that are on the committee were a little aggressive. Yeah, so I think this is uh, what Republicans are framing as kind of a law. They call it a logical extension of the law that passed last year. Just to recap, the law last year, uh, it was originally called the Divisive Concepts Law. It's no longer, um, but it's often referred to as that. And it would essentially prohibit teachers and also um, public employees from instructing, in the case of teachers in classrooms, um, a number of concepts, including that one race, gender, or protected class is inherently superior or advantaged over another, um, that uh, members of, of any one class might be inherently oppressive over members of another class. Again, that could be race, gender, sexuality, um, and that there should be any difference in how people are treated. Uh, and the concern that was raised last year and that has now prompted two lawsuits in the last month um, against the law is that the, the law is vaguely worded. Republicans say this is meant to um, stop students from feeling targeted and it's actually it's framed as an anti-discrimination law for students who feel that they may be being targeted because of their their identifying characteristic. But that's where the that's where this started. It passed into law. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure people have heard about that law. Oh, yeah. This new bill would extend that to higher education, which raises a lot of interesting questions, which have kind of arisen this week about how that works, because it's one thing to, uh, you know, restrict uh, K to 12 teachers. But when you get into academia and higher ed, uh, you you have principles of academic freedom um, and you have a whole a whole other set of uh, Supreme Court cases both in the state and uh, nationally, that might make that problematic. But for Republicans, it's a the way that it was described by the sponsor is, you know, this is just sort of standardizing what we already did in K to 12. And, um, you know, we're not telling teachers 
um, the sponsor says we're not telling teachers not to teach about concepts like racism or sexism, but to not teach them in a way that suggests that uh, they are still happening or that they are definitely a, a ingrained part of the American fabric. And yeah, so it's, this is a it's very I as someone who, who, who's on the right side of the aisle, it, it's a very confusing situation because on paper, I read the original divisive concept uh legislation or what's referred to as that and i as someone with a young child too like a lot of it makes a lot of sense and some of the books that are being pulled from shelves and some of the schools are very political and i'm not a fan of that showing up in public schools anyways on the other hand (laughs) the enforcement of said legislation puts the the uh uh, the law goes after the teachers ultimately to do it, which is the the reason why the teachers unions are like, what are you doing? Our teachers don't have m- lawyer money. We've been saying forever they don't really make very much money to begin with. Um, and to, to put that up to higher education, it's a totally other can of worms. It's so different when you come to faculty unions, faculty tenure. You talk about the full brunt of the education system. It just, to me, seems like they're just asking for a million lawsuits. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes. So the person sponsoring it, the Republican, is Rick Ladd, and he's the chairman of the House Education Committee. So very influential Republican, obviously knows, uh, you know, his committee and has a probably a, a sense of, of, you know, what legislation might clear the bar in the house so it's possible this bar this bill goes far the senate obviously uh uh you know passed the earlier divisive concepts bill into the budget last year so it may clear the senate and then what the governor senior does with it is unclear he has he came out against an earlier version of the divisive concepts bill last year then it was kind of um tweaked a bit and and watered down a little bit and he uh agreed with that one and agreed to extend it in the budget but whether he extends it to higher education is a big question on the ACLU uh, has kind of been watching this bill and testified about it. And we're saying that this would, uh, you know, even more so than the K to 12 law, uh, that this would go against, as I was referring to earlier, kind of long held precedents of academic freedom. Um, And, you know, there was some discussion of that in the the discuss in the hearing this week among some people who oppose the law who are pointing to their own experiences in, in higher education where you can disagree with a professor and you might have a spirited discussion after class and say, you know, I don't think that uh, I have my own theory about this. You have your theory. And that's sort of part of, of what uh, higher education provides and post-secondary education provides that you don't get so much in high school and in middle school. And the, the, the argument from this person who was testifying was that if you pass a law like this, no professor will feel like they can even right. venture their own theory or their own opinion uh, because it might be interpreted as trying to tell students how to think. Um, if there is a place for critical theories, it's supposed to be higher education. And I learned so much, as much as I disagreed from various professors of mine and the way Franklin Pierce University, where it was where I got my undergrad, they're a little hippie school down there in southern New Hampshire. They, they have their beliefs. But I, I learned a lot from the fact that I was with a bunch of people that disagreed politically, and I changed my views on a lot of things. I understand the K through 12 is a totally different situation, but to push into higher ed, I mean, that defeats the purpose of 
the these institutions. Yeah, but and then again to um, kind of point out what the sponsors are saying. Sponsors of the bill are saying we're not curtailing speech. We're just telling professors in this case and and uh, university faculty that they can't um, you know have a. They, they, they can't endorse a particular viewpoint or a particular theory and kind of center their lessons around that. Yeah, so that's yeah. their perspective. Again, we're going to, we'll see how this bill does and whether there's an appetite to expand uh, beyond. There certainly was a lot of heated discussion. <laughs> um, one uh, representative uh, Republican um, said during the hearing that he, 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 said that academic people are advocating in classes for movements and for ideologies and for people who favor the violent overthrow of government. And he asked whether the ACLU was comfortable with that kind of treasonous and seditious behavior. So I think I, I'm just curious as someone who's kind of watched this, whether this is a new phase or whether this is just one standalone bill that might not go anywhere or whether this is, again, the next phase in the anti-critical race theory uh, you know, debates that we've seen over the last year. You know, so from a, from a politics perspective, I mean, how many times I don't think Governor Sununu is going to put up with them just attaching 15 million things to the, the budget every year for so long. I mean, they're, they're t his term isn't very long before he runs for election again. He already came out after the last budget saying, I'm not happy about these, but I needed to get this budget signed. We're in the middle of a pandemic, by the way. Um, I mean, you yeah. can only do that so long and the pandemic's only going to last so much longer. Yeah, and there is no budget this year because it's a two-year budget, so uh, there is no, there's nothing to attach this kind of legislation on, which is why I was saying earlier, it'll be interesting to see what he does with this and whether he agrees with this. Um, the university system in New Hampshire and the community college system in New Hampshire both came out against it. They don't typically send their lobbyists into for legislation that's kind of this political. Uh, so I don't know how much that might affect the governor's decision or kind of what, um, but I also you know, anything could change with the bill and anything could change with the political support behind it. And I guess we won't really know until May. Yeah, very much. The, the, all these things just take forever for real decisions to be made. It's, it's, it's not quite as bad as dealing with the U.S. Supreme Court, which I constantly got to deal with cases around, which there's several months in between. But right. you got to wait a bit because there's a lot of hearings that need to take place, and these, these hearings are backlogged. So you got about a minute and a half left here. I mean, what do you see coming down the pike here that uh, people should be keeping an eye out on? Well, I, I'm kind of looking ahead to just the school situation and where, you know, I, I cover education and I think it's we're, we're seeing an interesting divide between schools that are tightening some of their quarantine procedures under CDC guidance. They're reducing it from 10 days to five days um, and also teachers unions who are pushing for schools to um, you go remote. Uh, so you have you have kind of two sides developing and you have um, parents on one hand and, and school unions on the other hand and, and you have school administrators and everyone is saying that they need more testing. And that's something that I've also been reporting and following. So I think the next few weeks will be like sort of a critical period for schools and for school leaders who are making decisions over whether to, to cancel classes or, or to keep kids and staff at home as you see more staff call out. So how that develops outside the legislature uh, is something that I'm going to be following.
Yeah, and that's very important. I mean, just once again, someone's got a young young kid in school every day. We're getting those emails like, "Oh, one person, six people, couple people every day are, are getting Omicron." So it's this is how Omicron's going to work, and that's the majority uh, virus at this point. So definitely follow NewHampshireBulletin.com and check out Ethan's articles as well as Anne Marie and Amanda Gokey, who join the show every uh, every Friday here on WKXL in the morning. I'm your host AJ Kirstead.